welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show, where once again I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, who this week was found in a dazed and confused state. 25 kilometers from home, clutching 25 kilograms of Zatar and a picture of Ben Barber, G. Where did you get the Ben Barber picture from? Actually, that would make sense. I'm really hankering for the glory days from 2012. It was a long time ago. Yes. I was actually wandering around Lithgow and I ran into Josh Dugan, so I thought... I'd I've got him home. coming up. I've got him coming up <laughs> in our Einstein Award. He's going to win our Einstein Award. By the way, for those that are really short of a party or a sermon, come to Belmore Car Park. You can do both. It's open air. We're, we're good to go. All the Zatara you can eat. So before we get started, G, was there any news? Obviously, the Josh Dugan news um, caught your eye in Lithgow. There were so many funny stories this week. Josh, Josh, Josh Dugan got caught driving to Lithgow with a mate. Then they got caught by police and warned. Hang on. He was moving there. He was moving Told there. them he was moving there, turned back. They drove two hours back and then decided we'll go a different way and then got caught by the cops again. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I read that Brilliant. story. Brilliant. And I thought, we're moving there and no, we're coming to feed the animals at midnight. Like, what fucking animals are you feeding? It's the lambs. They got let off, go back, and they tried going from another way. You know what? I think he should keep his NRL registration simply for, you know, being persistent, dogged determination. Great stuff, dudes. Oh, mate. Just just speaking of um, tone deaf and intelligence, another piece of news that caught my eye was, um, and Anthony Griffin was in the press. I'm going to get to my favorite. I'm going to leave my favorite Anthony Griffin story this week till last, but this one yeah. caught my eye. Uh, How many are there? There's two this week for for. For Anthony Griffin. The first one was he was going to name Jack DeBellin as captain. Yes, I did read that. Does he not have newspapers? Did he not think to himself for the first half of this season, gee, this Jack DeBellin, I wonder why he's not playing for us. He comes, he shows up to training every day. <laughs> no. Did he not oh. think to ask why is this guy not playing for us? I mean... What was he thinking? I don't know. Look, at the end of the day, he's probably the one of the few senior players left, but he could have done it next year if he wanted to, really, but a bit tone deaf from um, Anthony Griffin. What about I when he say. told the board and the board goes, I don't think it's a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they weren't wrong. They're probably thinking to themselves, are we really having this conversation? Jesus oh, Christ. So, you know, I don't know. A few pieces of other news this week. So, um, Aaron Molan is quitting Channel 9 or quitting the footy show. Didn't uh, see that. Yeah, so it looks like Danica Mason's going to take over. She wants to spend more time with her dad, Jim, um, yep. who's who's suffering from cancer. So, uh, okay. th th there is quite a few changes on foot at Channel 9 and their TV contract runs out at the end of next season. So... It'll be interesting to see what happens there. It's good of her to spend time with her dad and, you know, see how Danica Mason sort of... Um, I like Danica Mason. Yeah, um, she, she's she's a good presenter and I think she'll be good for the footage. A little bit of change and Sterlo going. So they're going to have a few new new dynamics as part of the show. Well, and looks like Freddie might go as well just to, to coach the Parramatta Eels. Are you taking Yeah, that was the rumour. Clearly, Freddie was linked. James Hooper made it up on the NRL 360. Uh, of course it he a, did, yeah. It took a life of its own. I think we need a coaching change. 
I don't think that Freddie's the answer. I think coaching representative football is very different to coaching week in, week out. It is very different because it's weekend. It's a grind, right? The same way it is for the players. They can get themselves up for a state of origin game. But when you see them week to week, they're a very different player. <laughs> Corey Allen. But, um, you know, <laughs> so I think Fittler would probably be better as almost like one of those, I don't know if it's a director T, but some kind of person that's kind of conceptually has a philosophy in terms of the style of play you want, but then some, you know, you've got the day-to-day guys that help him out. Uh, look, I think Freddie's got an NRL gig in him, but he needs smart people around him. He needs technicians around him. You know who they should pair Freddie with? Anthony Seabold. That's actually not a bad idea if they could work together. Freddie can win the hearts and he can get the minds. He can do all the technical bits of it, the tactics, the edges, the which shoulder to tackle with, all that sort of stuff, all the analysis, but... Freddie can go over the top and go, you're too structured. Adam O'Brien and Anthony Seabold together at Newcastle, and we'll go on, get on to the Newcastle game. I mean, they they, they are so predictable in attack. Oh, yeah, oh, hello. I mean, I watched that game, so. But yeah, you're right. I think that's a good top combination. And that's what I meant. That's- you said I watched that game like it was an event. It was the first time this season. <laughs> I'm just put down the Bulldogs for a loss. There's no point. So I got um, seven out of eight. How many did you get with your Joker Joker card? I got seven actually, surprisingly, and I stuffed up the Penrith tip. I think that's what I was getting at. Like Freddie's got, like you say, that f- philosophical sort of conceptual view where he can sort of get the hearts of the players and give them a little bit of the unstructured philosophy, let them play footy. But he does need to be paired with these sort of sort of technicians that get right into the details. I think that'd be a great pairing. You've narrowed the gap to me in the tipping comp too. You're down to, you're within 28 points of me now. Oh, fantastic. I think I might catch you by next season. Yeah, by next season. (laughs) Are you tipping over the off-season? No, I'm not. All right. Some more news still on Parramatta Eels. The Eels are being sued by the former third-party agreement company that's now in liquidation. (laughs) I'm not even joking. This is the company. They're being sued by the company that got them into trouble in the salary cap in 2016. Because they made payments to Jared Hayne and Anthony Watmau, and now they've gone bankrupt and are suing Parramatta for the payments they've made to Jared Hayne and Anthony Watmau. Hey, why not? If you're going bankrupt, you may as well try and take the heels with you. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the best. It didn't it get uncovered because, was it Lee Mossop or whatever it was, was meant to have his money in an offshore account or whatever it was. Yeah, that's that right. Chase emails were chasing it up. Oh, i got to love it. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, Parramatta, geez, we're in all sorts of trouble. Um, Did you see the player's vaccination ad? I haven't seen it, no. Do yourself a favour. There is some Oscar-winning performances in the ad. It's like Meryl Streep. Is it? No, it's the worst. It is so wooden. It is the worst. It is humour value. We're going to be looking back at this ad in 10 years from now, and it's, we're going to be laughing our asses off. I always get the Ashley Martin ads and the um, Wayne Carey ads that this is about health, and it talks about trying to get you to go get your hair checked. Now, I don't know if Google's spying on me, but... Well, Google's certainly taking photos of you. <laughs> it is. <laughs> the best one is the guy that... um. And he says, I looked into the mirror and I didn't realise who was staring at me. And I realised I had to change. I'm like, who does he look at every morning? (laughs) I know, you wake up one morning and go, all my hair's gone. It's like, dude, I'm pretty sure you see yourself every morning. You don't have to wait till you see yourself in the servo. Let me reenact for you the player's vaccination ad. You should get vaccinated. (laughs) Like me. Because it's good. It's just terrible. It's that wooden. Until the next, the person who's actually on the ad refuses a vaccine next Correct, week. correct, correct. So they got Bryce, <laughs> they, Bryce Cartwright wasn't in the ad. Okay, just checking. 
Let's let's move to some other news. Jared Croker's career is at a crossroads. They finally dropped him um, because Ricky has actually started watching the football. <laughs> <laughs> like instead of the been, referee, he's been in the game. He's been in the team for twelve months longer than he should have been. I mean, like people are speaking about it in hushed tones. Like he hasn't been the same player for twelve months. He hasn't been, and Jared Croker was always a little bit defense, always defensively a little bit shaky, right? But he's always had good footwork and got himself into the creases of the defense that would make breaks, and his attack's gone as well now. So now he actually is a negative to the team. It's, he, his strengths don't outweigh his weaknesses for the, for the Canberra Raiders anymore. It's sad. He's been a great servant, but he's kind of reached his, his limit now. I think so. I think, I think so. I don't know where he goes. Speaking of um, losing form, terrible season, let's move on to the dogs. Are we talking about Adam Elliott keeping form? <laughs> We're He's been to consistent. <laughs> Are we sure? Now he what? Let's let's go to Adam Elliott. He's being investigated for getting kicked out of a restaurant. Yeah, for um, maybe going to the toilet with a Millie Boyle, the NRLW player, Millie Boyle. Now she said they were just sharing a cheeky kiss, nothing Sunny Bill, Candace Falzon style. Yeah, they're probably sharing tactics. Maybe she was trying to help the Bulldogs get a win. Given Adam Elliott's previous form, is Millie Boyle engaged to another footballer? Michael Leach, I don't know. Um, It's possible. Is she she engaged to Mal Meninga? There's a possibility there, but if Adam Elliott's on the drink, whatever you do, watch your partners. I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't invite Adam Elliott over for a milestone birthday party at your house and get on the sauce and then wonder to yourself at 2am, why is he still here? (laughs) No. Te- look, technically nothing to investigate. I don't think there's anything to investigate, really, but... So, more Bulldogs news. The Bulldogs are shopping Luke Thompson around. Yeah, I, so do I. So would I. I but, but he's on 800 grand a year, and they're willing to pay 450 grand of it. Yeah, because he's terrible. <laughs> That's the fundamental reason. Madge McGuire is like, we'll take him, thanks. Fine, Madge, you can have him, because he's got to sort out your defensive issues in the middle of the field. He was the... Most highly touted prop in a long time from England. But realistically, I think the speed of the game he's found out found him out. He's 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 not up to it. He's too big, too muscular. He he might barge his way through a few things, but he's he's actually a massive liability in defence. Well the, the really thing is. that the th- the reason this was interesting for me when I was looking at the news this week is not because the Bulldogs were willing to pay him. It's because yep. Moses Embi has gone to the Saints from the Tigers. And he's on eight hundred grand a year. And so the Tigers are paying the majority of Moses Zimbai's contract, right, for next year. Yep. So they've now got salary cap room. And someone in the West Tigers organization, this is burning a hole in their pocket. They go, we've just freed up 350 grand in the cap. I know. Let's go get Luke Thompson. What? If I was the Bulldogs, I'd actually break COVID curfew to go drop him off at Leichhardt and drive back. Uh, no, my point is more, what's going on at the Tigers? I mean, what is... The, we're, What's the question they're asking themselves that they freed up 350, 400 grand by getting rid of Moses Zimbai, which by all accounts is the worst contract in the league, and they're going to go spend that on Luke? What are they watching? The only thing that would the only thing that would be worse than that, and I wouldn't believe it, and I would believe it, is if they said we're got, we're chasing Jared Croker because we want speed in the outside backs. It absolutely wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, he's big, he's big, and he suits their style of footy player, basically. He charges hard. He's he's physical. The problem is he's he can't move side to side, and that's an issue. That's a bit of a problem in first grade, yeah. So, it is. So look, quick quick pieces of news, and then I'll get to my two favourite stories of the of the week. 
Mulatalo is out for the season after breaking his jaw on the weekend. And Curtis, Curtis Scott's been sacked, finally. The Curtis Scott news was coming, wasn't it? He had his incident last year, which wasn't his fault with the police. Now he's actually at fault for assault. But, you know, there's two incidents of a similar nature and by all reports, he, he sort of had a few issues at Melbourne as well, which is why Melbourne were happy to let him go. So hopefully he sorts himself out, Curtis Scott. He, he's a talented player. He's still young. And hopefully um, he gets himself back into gear and, you know, we see him back playing football again and he, he, he sorts out whatever issues he's got. Here, here. And what did you think of James Maloney's retirement? I think one of the most underrated players I thought in you were going to say annoying. Time. He is annoying too, but, you know, everyone, he's one of those players where everyone's like, oh, he can't tackle, he can't tackle. Yeah, but every team he went to won. Exactly. He reminds me very, very much of Preston Campbell. I mean, different style of players, but... The media focused so much on what he couldn't do, but they were key members and almost the key players for teams that kept on winning. Won grand finals, got to grand finals, where until he went to the Roosters towards the end of his career, I thought he was incredibly underrated. Remember the Warriors? He was at Melbourne early, went to the Warriors. The Warriors made the grand final. He was incredible for the Warriors. Went to Penrith. Penrith were fantastic with him. Then he went to the Roosters. He's had a fantastic career and it took him too long to make State of Origin. And funnily enough, when he played State of Origin, the saviour, Mitchell Pearce, looked a lot better and New South Wales won a couple of games. So um, a brilliant career. Finally got his kudos at the end of his career, I think. But um, big, big loss to whoever he's playing with. <laughs> you don't know who he's playing with, do you? No, I don't. He's overseas. The Catalan Dragons. That's the hard-hitting analysis and deep understanding of rugby league that you've come to expect from Jim. COVID Dragons. The COVID Dragons. All right. Enjoy your retirement, James Maloney. Now, in other news, we're down to the last three stories before I throw it open. I'm saving my two best ones for last. Um, Mal Meninga is on 450 grand a year to coach the Kangaroos. They haven't played since November 2, 2019 against Tonga. So they haven't played in two years. By next season, they wouldn't have played in three years. You brought that up. And he's a couple of weeks. Yeah, ago, I have brought that, that up. Played. And he's yeah. and he's reluctant to take a pay cut. Mal, Mal, I got news for you. I got news for you. You haven't coached. You haven't picked the team in two years, Mal. Four hundred and fifty grand. Everyone else has had to tighten their belts. Not big Mal. It's like a retirement pay, but it's like a defined benefit superannuation fund. You've actually got to do something for the money. He needs to keep the eyebrows finely manicured. Look, I get his reluctance to take the pay cut, but he hasn't coached for two years, basically. So I can understand the NRL's push to give him a pay cut as well. Because at most, they only coach six to eight weeks a year. Now, next year's meant to be Rugby League World Cup year. Mal Meninga, if he, does, if he decides to step down from the Kangaroos role, he'd be a smoky for the Queensland Origin team coach. He would be. He would be. He'd probably get the job. He, he does a good job in representative football, Mal. Like, whenever you see him on, you know, during the commentary when he's making sort of halftime, or he does halftime analysis, he's straight up, no bullshit, straight to the point, um, which probably helps when he's coaching some of these rep teams quite a bit. So, so yeah, he might be the Queensland coach if he, he steps down, or maybe he does both. Mm. Well, gee, before I get to my two favourite stories of the week, we had a lot of feedback from our listeners last week about your just really poor form as a human being and as a bloke. About Dylan Brown? About, about picking on people raising money for charity and then yeah, selling selling your team down the toilet for the Crosstown Rivals. Can I, can I just ask you how your week of reflection has gone? My week of reflection has resulted in me 
with clarity tipping the sharks, no, the knights last week. Okay, oh, I'll, 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 I'll tell you what you didn't do. You didn't you didn't spend the week researching which club James Maloney was playing for no, in retirement. No, no. All right, let's move on to my two favourite stories of the week, and one of these. Is such a great story. It could be one of my favourite stories of the year. Now, we criticise the way rugby league is covered in this country, or I do, particularly out of the, the lack of any analysis. depth. Lack of analysis yes. and depth to what, what we what we watch and hear and yep. read. And now, the most detailed analysis of an article was when the Dragons leaked the scouting report to the paper. Correct, so they could... correct. Now, there was another <laughs> article this week that was on the back page Um sprouting the intelligence of Anthony Griffin for using Moneyball. It was all over, big article, big news. Now, they said, you know, that Anthony Griffin's utilising Moneyball, and Moneyball's a book by Michael Lewis, made famous by, um, I was going to say Billy Bremner, but but Billy Bean, the manager of the Oakland A's, that really used Moneyball to get an advantage in the Major League Baseball because other clubs had a bigger salary cap than the Oakland A's, so they needed to find their advantage. Now, That's right. Now, Anthony Griffin, the Daily Telegraph said, was using Moneyball by getting all these players that he's been getting, like the Josh Maguires, that are having their contracts partially paid for by uh, their their existing club, right? That's so, called freeing up the salary cap, not, not now, Moneyball. Now, now, there's a couple of things wrong with it. Now, that... Is not how Moneyball works. Would be the first. No, would be the first thing. Not. Now, the Oakland A's Moneyball story is they discovered a statistic that wasn't being used, or invented a statistic that wasn't being used by other clubs that allowed them to recruit players that were being undervalued by the market, not the players getting market value and someone else meeting their co- part of their costs. Okay. Secondly, Billy Bremner. Oh, Billy Bryn, I did it again. Billy Bean and the Moneyball concept is you're usually picking up up and coming play up and coming players. Last time I checked, the players Saints are recruiting. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not are not up and coming players. Andrew McCulloch. Andrew McCulloch. Josh Maguire. Not up and coming up and coming players. Now I object to the Daily Telegraph and Anthony Griffin's friends portraying him as this uber-intelligent... A guy who was this week going to pick Jack DeBellin as captain, as this super-intelligent guy that's using Moneyball. And it would be good if the journalists actually read the Google summary of Moneyball. That's just finding a way to get... The the 2008 Broncos back together. Yeah, or the, sorry, the 2008-2010 Broncos under-20s team back together. But that's that's just a way of getting players to fit under your cap. Let me tell you, if Anthony Griffin wrote the Moneyball book, it wouldn't be as thick. <laughs> it's it's true. got nothing to do with actually valuing a player themselves and how it compares to other players on a similar amount of money at similar clubs and whether they can find someone, like you say, is up and coming that they can get for 300000 instead of paying someone a similar amount for 600000 that's got some statistical analysis. This is basically, hey, we can get Josh Maguire for cheaper. It's a little bit of a, a trick in the salary cap system, but it's not Moneyball. Correct. I don't think NRL uses this at all, to be honest. They, they do have some statistics. No, I agree. I think it's low-hanging fruit. I think it's low-hanging fruit. I think a smart club out there will utilise this. Yes, I would say and, so. And part They've of got... it is the, the statistics we get on the sport are actually really blunt instruments. Metres gained, post-contact metres, tackles, line breaks. Yes. It's all, it's all um, you know, they're blunt, they're blunt tools. They're not sophisticated. They're not, they're, they're not, they're not advanced analytics. Being a, a Bulldogs fan, and, and this, we're coming last, right? There so certainly the isn't any advanced about... analytics that can make that look better. 
there is, but they always talk about completion rate and completion rate such a big deal in completion rate. We pretty much have had the best completion rate for three years. Completion rate's really important when you've got a first grade quality team. If you ever listen to them, the way they talk about the statistics, they don't go beyond that. They'll just say, oh, you know, their completion rate's really high. But there's no discussion as to context. And rugby league is a hard sport to do advanced analytics on because it's constantly generally in motion. There's a lot of um, context. It's not just a one-on-one standalone um, interaction in terms of what you do. So there's a few elements like that in the game, like maybe a tackle or an effective tackle, but it's a it's a high it's like basketball it's constantly moving so the statistical analysis of like football it's difficult right i mean like meters gained right if you're in a poor team somebody has to run the ball and get the meters it doesn't in and of itself tell you that much really we've got a way to go but there i'm with you i think there's a low-hanging fruit there if someone can come up with something to kind of really statistically analyze some of the um the tricky parts of the game and get value out of it so Look, what's just come through in the press is allegedly Curtis Scott, one of the incidents that led to Curtis Scott's sacking was when he broke his hand last year after getting into a punch-up with John Bateman. God, okay, maybe there's a few incidents with Curtis Scott. Maybe, allegedly, it is alleged, Buzz Rothfield reported it. I think think maybe, maybe Curtis Scott should front the vaccination campaign. I think Curtis Scott should watch the South Park episode with Russell Crowe where he's fighting around the world. (laughs) Fighting around the world, great episode. What was his boat called? Remember? Tugger. Oh, Tugger. Tugger. Fighting, fighting around camera. Fighting around the world with Tugger. All right. And that brings me to my favourite story of the week. And that's Connor Watson returning to Easts for 300k. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. 300k, really? 300k for two seasons. He that's knocked back 350k for three seasons from Newcastle. And what... I'd really love about this story, okay? It's not the money, it's, and he is cheap, he's a bargain. Um, and not the fact that Trent Robinson said, he is a Roosters junior, did say to him, if you come he back, is, we I think we that. can make you a, a state of origin quality utility. And I think he's nearly there. He'd be a great 14th man in origin. He's, he reminds me a lot of Craig Wing. He reminds me a lot of Craig Wing. I do think the Roosters are being a little bit sneaky too. You could see his talent from way back, but they had better players. Now that some of those players have moved on, they're like, hey, Connor. We really think we can help you improve now. Come well, back. It's a Roosters. Roosters have got him back. It's a great deal. Now it is great deal. And you know what? Good on him for going to the Roosters too. I think they will improve his football as well. That's right. That's right. But the way it happened is kind of very rugby league for me. So first, <laughs> first Newcastle lowballed their offer. Of course they did. Yes. Fifty grand a year less than he's currently on. He's been one of their best players. Correct. All season. That's what they said. And he doesn't have an agent. So. Now, Newcastle and the Roosters are staying in the same hotel in the bubble in Queensland. This part I haven't read. So he doesn't he doesn't have an agent. So yes. he ran into Trent Robinson in the lift. Oh my god. Yes. They go. went for a cup of coffee in the foyer. As nights people are walking past, Roosters people are walking past, having a good chinwag. Our mate Connor tells Trent what's going on. And Trent goes, give me a minute. Ring someone, let's call him Nick Politikakis. Yep, yep. And they do the deal then and there. I don't even know what to say. Seriously. Have you, is there ever a better rugby league recruitment story than that? There probably is, right? But that is that is a very rugby league story. I love it. What's going on at Newcastle? One of their best players. And you know what? If you've been watching the footy as closely as we do, I've been bleating on about Connor Watson for two years. 
he's always been a fantastic player. I could never understand, even when he was at the Roosters, why no one pinched him because you could see that he was he was excellent, right? They obviously let him go because they had better players at the time, and now he's developed a bit more, and they probably you know obviously know that it can bring him back. He's filled in so many positions for Newcastle over the last two years. He's been a creative spark for them. The only position years. that's left for him to fill is coach. Basically, fullback, centre. And then you lowball him because I don't even know why. After he's actually been consistent. Uh, it's unbelievable. It makes it's unbelievable. No sense whatsoever. I don't know what these recruiters are doing. Who's looking after the salary cap? Meanwhile, you've got articles being written about Anthony Griffin, who can't, like, about Moneyball. I mean, he would be better off. Instead of spending three hundred and fifty grand on Josh Maguire, there's where he should have been spending three hundred and fifty grand. Yes, because even if he doesn't start, he's your guy that can basically. Oh, he's a great utility. He does remind me a lot of Craig Wing. He does remind me a lot of Craig Wing. He's a Swiss Army knife, right? Yeah, correct. Fullback, halfback, but he can slot in. He does a job. Like he's not. It's not like you get a drop, and he's really good. Always. So it's just it's a dumb recruitment decision. But then also, he's not one of Isaac Moses's clients. Oh, okay. All right. Which doesn't always help when you're at the Newcastle Knights. Is he the Jorge Mendes of Newcastle Knights? I believe so. Okay. All right. For those of you who don't know what who Jorge Mendes is, just Google him. He's the um. I don't know what he is. He's a soccer. He's a soccer agent. Well, he's an agent. But he's, but he's but he's bigger than that now. Yeah, he's kind of like a one man company basically with <laughs> players. It's he's a one man legitimate business owner. <laughs> basically, yes. That was all that caught my eye this week in the world of rugby league. Did you have anything on your list that we didn't cover? I think that's enough. Every week you look at me like, what are we going to talk about? Nothing's happened this week. (laughs) Every week you do it. And the, the only thing that I had that would probably be in addition to was rumors that the Broncos apparently were after Dylan Napa. Big puppy. Why? Recruitment decisions. Now he'll end up with Anthony Griffin. He'll end up paying... The Bulldogs will end up paying half his salary and it'll be new money ball. Ridiculous. How bad is the Bulldogs recruitment when you're like basically paying one and a half million dollars to five people to take all your players? Cause correct, correct. Well, and can I just say, David Clemmer was superb against the Dogs on the weekend too. We'll get to it though. Yeah, bit of an, bit of an angry man. Bit angry he man. Bear was Canterbury. superb though. All right, let's move on to the round 22. Yep. Game. So first up, it was the Titans versus the Storm. The Storm got this one 34-20. The Storm equaled the Roosters' 1975 record of 19 wins in a row. Spectacular effort. Well done. I never thought. I didn't think it was a record that was going to get run close in my lifetime. To be honest, watching Penrith last year and the Dogs in 2002 and the Sharks. Of course, there'd be a Ben Barber reference. Yes. No, that was not Ben Barber. That was um, in the days of Hazemil Masri and Nigel Vungana. Oh, that's right, that's right. So, um, but, you know, you watch those teams win 16 in a row and the amount of luck you need and the breaks that have to go your way as well as performing unbelievably every week, I never, ever thought that 19 in a row would be possible. Luckily, we've got the sophistication of Moneyball in rugby league now. So, Of course, but honestly, Melbourne, I know the comp's been a little bit weaker this year, but amazing effort. Amazing Brilliant. effort. However, amazing. the Storm were really poor in the first half in this game. They dropped oh, the they ball were. three times in the they first were. 12 minutes 
and the Titans scored two tries to get out to, to a 10-0 lead. The Storm were able to rest the momentum back and got two tries of their own next to the post to take a 12-10 lead. And I thought the Storm would go on with it at that point, but instead, Jaden Campbell, who came in for AJ Brimson just before kickoff, got his second after outleaping Cam Munster to give the Titans a 16-12 lead at halftime. So they were really poor in the first half. And Belliak wouldn't have been happy at the break, and his team responded in the second half, running in four tries to one in the second half before Tyrone Peachy got one back for the Titans. Um, I thought it was Ryan Pappenheisen's best game since his return. Um, they did rest, well, rest is the wrong word for it, but but given the head knock the previous week, Jerome Hughes didn't play, and they moved Nico Hines to halfback. I didn't yep. think he played well at halfback. He didn't. No, he didn't. I didn't think he was very good. But I did think Harry Grant was threatening out a dummy half. They got the win. It's the 19th in a row, but I, they, they, they're they coming back to the pack. Do you think their form's been a little bit sketchy the last couple of weeks? Whether it's because they are waiting for the semifinals and a lot of these games are somewhat, let's be honest, somewhat meaningless in a way. They've got the double chance. They've got the minor premiership. And you have to really want that record to be able to still turn up with vigor every week. And they're also making constant changes, right, and resting players and things like that. So I think there's an element of continuity that they're, they're struggling with at the moment with a lot of the changes. But I thought the Titans started really well. Like you, the Storm were very rusty. Manly, Raiders, Titans. Yeah, there's been a few games where it's they've like, wobbled a little bit, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not been smooth sailing, right? No. Um, look, you know what? I was impressed with Jaden Campbell. He, you know, we saw him play earlier in the year and make his debut, but I thought he was a lot more assured in this game. Like, very certain and a lot more, more supremely confident, I would say. Yeah, I thought he played um, really well. Way, he played really well, and I thought Marion Seve struggled a lot in the first half and sort of got, you know, sort of, he really struggled to contain... Herbert, it was a bit of the Patrick Herbert show for a little while. And I still think Pappenheisen, you said he had his best game, he did, but you could see he's still... Oh, he's not there, he's not, he's not playing like he was before, but it was his best game on his return, right? He was, he's been terrible the last few weeks. Definitely was. And Hines really struggled at half because he doesn't quite have the pace, right, to be up in the line. It's when he comes in at fullback... I hope the Sharks play him as a fullback next year, because I'm not sure him as a full-time 5'8 is going to work. I don't think so because you still need to threaden the line. And when he comes from deep, he, he moves then he, and then he plays what he sees, whether it's a pass and he's got great timing, right? But he struggled to sort of make any inroads at half. And, and like you said, I think um, in the second half, you know, the Storm just had that extra bit of firepower. Like, you know, Remus with the big break to score, um, Pappenheisen, Addo Card right at the end of the half where they kind of, it was just a speed play. They got on the fringe of the Titans and then busted their defence and they were gone and they scored a try. But in the second half, and the Titans still hung with them. I, I, in the second half, I didn't think the Storm were ever going to lose it. No. And the second half, they stepped up a little bit of a gear. They must have got, like you said, I think. Well, it wasn't very... It was It was probably their worst half of football in a long, long time. I mean, they haven't been playing well, but it's still... It, it wasn't a great half of football from the Storm. But you know what? At the beginning, they looked like they... They were a bit arrogant that they could just show up and just showing up was enough. You know what? I think you're right because I sort of got the same impression that they... It wasn't that they were trying hard but things weren't working. I just felt like... They were going through know, the motions a little training bit. Run. Yeah. yeah, and they were going to win really easily. So I think they then they stepped up again. In the second half, that's where I agree with you where Pappenheisen started to really combine with Addo Carr again. And they started to torch that side of the Titans' defence. Like They just had no chance, right? You know, the try where they stepped... Fogarty, they went across the field, Pappenheisen, and then Adokar came back in, stepped past two or three guys, passed it back into, I think it was Munster, and they scored a try. And from there, they, or it was Nico Hines, actually. And from there, they just went on with it. 
you know. Yeah, and, good result. Um, good result, but you know the Titans, you know, not too bad, but just you can just see a different level. Yeah, but if they make the eight, it's progress for them. I think there's only one spot now available in the eight. Uh, I think the Knights have pretty much locked it in. So let's move on to the Friday night games. First up, it was a cracking game actually. The Raiders versus Manly. Manly made seven errors in the first half and really missed Tommy Turbo, who was arrested for this one. And, and the Raiders played tough. Um, and it's their recipe at the moment, right, is to out-tough teams because the attack doesn't have much fluidity. So they're just trying they to... They don't. They're very they're just, aggressive. They're aggressive and they're just trying to out-tough teams. Um, and, and they took advantage, scoring two tries, one on each edge to lead Manly 12-0 at halftime. Uh, and I thought, whoa, this game's in the balance, but, but, but just Manly have got so much points in them, right? I always thought... You know, the Raiders may not have enough points, and that's the way it kind of proved in the second half. After the break, as so, ha- as so, happens, as so often happens in the Raiders games, the Raiders fell away. Manly completed 19 or 21 sets in the second half, um, and in 39 minutes ran in three tries to take the lead 18-12. Um, with two minutes to go, DCE kicked a field goal to make it 19-12 before Charles Nichols-Clockstad, who was back, it was good to see him back, yep. scored after good a break. Good to see him back. Yeah, scored after a break down the right edge to make it 19-18 with 20 seconds to go. Josh Schuster got, then got binned from the kickoff for holding the play of the ball down. Uh, the Raiders advanced the ball 30 metres, but from the restart, Jordan Rapana missed the two-point field goal by 4.6 kilometres. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a terrible it was attempt. A terrible attempt. Um, just the the only, so Manly got up nineteen eighteen. The only thing I really wanted to say was Moses Sully was absolutely terrorised the Raiders' right edge. Yes, Two hundred and eight yes. meters, eleven tackle busts, one line break, one line break assist. And can I also say DCE's kicking game in the second half was superb. He moved them around to exactly where they needed to be on the field. I thought it was a good win for Manly and probably a good hit out for them as well. I thought the Raiders were really tough. And again, like we said, they struggled without Tommy Turbo because you have to adjust a little bit, you know, because you don't have that same speed coming from the back. And the Raiders scored two really good tries on each, on each wing. So I thought they were looking good. They were looking good value. And But then Manly, Moses Sully, that's the best game I've seen him play since he's been in first grade. He was just running hard from deep with agility, shrugging off tackles. He was really, like you said, just damaging. He, tor- he torched that. Raiders right hand side defense I didn't know what to do with him and he was constantly making breaks and it gave Manly the field position to take advantage of it they couldn't hold them out the whole game the Raiders and they didn't have enough points in them to put Manly away they hung around too long and then Manly eventually wore them down and and came out ahead other player that I think um, for Manly makes a massive massive difference now and has been fantastic the last few weeks is Uluwakatu on the fringe. He's a damaging runner. He's a scary runner. He's great in attack and offloading and a very attacking sort of fringe back rower. And they've, they, they, they can attack on both sides of the field, which makes them very hard to defend. But a good win. The only thing was I really enjoyed Matthew Tomoko's headgear. Quite striking. The lime green headgear. All right. As I've mentioned in previous <laughs> weeks, it's time to move on to the match of the round yeah. on Friday night once G starts going off topic. And it was the match of the round. It was the Panthers versus Souths. Panthers got up 25-12. Souths dominated the first half and got two tries through Dane Gagai and Latrell Mitchell. And throughout this game, they really targeted the Panthers' left edge. Um, the the opposite to it's the opposite side to the side Souths normally attack from. So it was Souths' right edge, Panthers' left edge. So it was really noticeable that they went away from trying to overrun them down that edge. So they obviously saw a weakness there that Wayne Bennett wanted to wanted to. Um, Exploit, and after they got those two early tries, they were Souths were up twelve nil, and the Panthers looked out of shape. 
Um, but but two broken field kicks from Momorowski led to two tries down the south yes. left edge. Yeah, the first by Nathan Cleary and the second to Stephen Crichton just before halftime um, after he was moved to fullback when Dylan Edwards went off and, and didn't return because of a HIA after a head clash with friendly friendly fire from Vilemi Kikau. Despite South's first half dominance, they only led 12-10 at halftime, and I reckon that would have been a bit demoralising because they really dominated that first half. The momentum completely shifted in the second half off a masterful performance from Nathan Cleary. After a couple of penalty goals and an Aiden try, the Panthers led 18-12 with 18 minutes to go. Nathan Cleary kicked a field goal in the last five minutes to kill the game before Api Karasau scored at the death. I think a big part of this game and the Panthers' second half comeback was the 11-2 penalty count against Souths. Um, and I think because of that, Souths can take a lot of heart from this game, that they were the better side in the first half, and that some of the refereeing, actually, the penalty count did help the Panthers back into it. Um, the Panthers did keep Cody Walker very quiet, but Cam Murray and Damian Cook were superb through the middle of the field, really threatening from dummy half. And Cam Murray through the middle, the play of the balls, just a great player. For the Panthers, Nathan Cleary and Isaiah Yo were great. Um, but Jerome Luai's form is a little bit worrying. He's going disappear- He's disappearing for large swathes of the game. What did you see in this one? Not too dissimilar to you, although I do disagree about Souths taking a lot of heart out of this game. I think they, like you, I think they dominated that first half. But I also think it's been far too easy for Souths for far too long. And they were trying some of the similar stuff against Penrith, but it just wasn't working because Penrith's defense is too quick. They were trying their plays, but they weren't getting the same return. Uh, any other team, they were up 26-0 at half time. Then Penrith having a couple of, uh, I mean, skillful tries. Momorowski with a couple of great kicks. The second one was a brilliant kick. The little chip over between six South defenders to Crichton was honestly brilliant. A brilliant chip. A brilliant kick. But like you say, then going in 12-10. Bit of luck for, the, for Penrith with two of those tries, but... You know, I think Southend struggled in the second half as a result. You're down 12. But it was the penalty count. The penalty count killed them. They couldn't get the ball back. It's not It's not like the old days. You can't get them. Once the momentum swings, I mean, I think they did well to keep them down. Like, Appy Coruscant only scored right at the end. Yes, it was very tight. I, I thought both teams sort of, you know, both defences played okay. I think Souths are in this, buddy. I think I think they're into it. I, I think they're right in it up to their eyeballs. I know they haven't beaten a, a top four side in a long time, but that's as close as they've gotten in a while. That, that Actually, that's a good point. It is. So I would say that, look, I suppose they can take heart from that, that the game was very close. And I don't think, in a way, Souths have now got that, they played that game against one of the best two sides. Now they know where they have to improve. It's not one of these easy beats. So in a way, it was a good test run before the semis for Souths. Um, Because I do think they struggled to score points despite their dominance because the defense, the level of defense was a lot better. In the second half, I thought, like you say, Cleary started to take over. And I thought Luai started to come back into the game a lot more. But they're still shaking out their combination again. It sounds strange, but like you say, something's not quite clicking at the moment. Give it a week or two. I think by come semi time they'll be they'll be ready to go. I think Luai is slowly starting to find his feet, but he has been missing for a while because he's had to play. He's tried to play that sort of organising half role for quite a few weeks, and it's kind of thrown him out a little bit. Thought like you, I thought Damian Cook was superb at the start. He really he gave South direct attacking thrust from dummy half, and they really needed that against the Panthers' defence as well. So that really helped with Penrith. How do you think their team's shaping up if there's no To'o returning? That they've got quite a tall, more athletic team at the moment. 
They do, but I think the team is really, really, really running on the fumes of Nathan Cleary. It's been somewhat evident, hasn't it? So, so they cannot win the comp without Nathan Cleary, is what I'm saying. If he gets hurt or has a bad game or whatever else, now he hasn't, right? He's Mr. Consistent. He's been playing out of his skit. And I worry that the same thing that happened in the grand final last year is going to happen this year that Melbourne take Nathan Cleary out of the game. And there's and, no one else to do And there's anything. no one else there, right? And that's why Jerome Luai's form so worrying. Early in the season, um, they were reworking really, really well together, and he was providing a threat as well. But he's got post-origin blues, and he's not hes not the player he was at the moment. But but sorry, different to you, I don't think the problem's in the outside backs for them. I, I, I think they're now... They were, they've gone from a team early in the season that could actually kill you 10 different ways to a team that can now only kill you one way, and that's through Nathan Cleary. Interesting pickup because that was their attack at the start of the year, was they could do everything. There was, a, there was like we've said, a joy and a, a spontaneity to a lot of their game, and they're attacking. Like when they were constantly attacking chips, kicks, you know, multiple passes, inside runs. It, it, it's all clunky now. It comes here and there. It's, it shows up here and there, but it's not consistent throughout a whole game. Now, what the reason is, I don't know. I'll tell you why it's important. The, mm. the top three teams, or the, the the four teams that have scored the most length of the field tries, or outside the top twenty, top twenty outside the twenty meters, uh, in no particular order: Melbourne, the Panthers, Manly, and Souths. And Souths, no surprise. Yeah. So you need you need to be able to score. The football's changed a little bit, and the bottom it has. teams and the Knights and all and Para is another one. What we spoke about last week, it's the, the Craig Bellamy disciples have still got them playing Craig Bellamy style of football from 2018-2017. Yeah, from 10 years ago. Yeah. The game's changed and haven't changed with it. You need speed, you need backing up. You actually need to go back to almost early 2000s, late 90s football. Yeah. In terms of the style of play, where the ball's zinging around and you're backing up and forwards are popping up all over the field, which is what Generally, well, I don't, I don't that know that you'll go back to that level of unstructuredness because I do think it the won't. games will get tighter in the finals. But you do, there's no doubt you need to be able to hurt teams different ways. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. You made a good point about Penrith. Structured's the wrong word. They just don't seem to have the same variety at the moment. Yeah, they just don't have as much strike across the field. They, they can no. only kill you one way now. So, yep. All right. Agree. Let's move on to shitty Saturday. <laughs> yes. And first up, it was, and this is the only game I tipped wrong. I don't know why I keep doing this with the Tigers. This was the Tigers versus the Sharks. The Tigers were right up for this game, right? There was a semi-final berth on the line, so that naturally the Sharks won fifty to twenty. Um, of course they did. I mean, the Tigers were terrible. How could you not get up for this game? Those poor Tigers supporters. Like, uh, anyway, the Tigers, and they got off to the perfect start when Cheekam went over. Uh, but that was yes. about as good as it got for the Tigers, as Cronulla yep. took a 16-4 halftime lead after a double to Mulatalo and a try to Katoa. The Sharks extended that lead to 34-10 by midway through the second half, including what was fantastic to see Mulatalo give up on his hat-trick to give Luke Metcalf his first try in first grade. I thought that's that says team spirit. And, of course, he did break his jaw in two places and now is out for the season, Mulatalo. He's had an eventful... For, uh, season this year, he um, has actually. He's had a very right. yeah. He's had a really eventful season. Um, the Tigers' defense through the middle of the field was terrible. It's the seventh time this year they've scored twenty points or more and still lost. No other team's done it more than once. Um, so just to show you how, how bad their defense is, 
And before you go on, it's not an attacking problem. They've scored 20 points or more seven times, which should mean they win 90% of those games and they've lost. It's a giving a shit problem. It's not just their defense. Like some like, of their, yeah, some enough. of their defense wasn't, their oh, bodies it was were there. It was through the middle. It was through the middle. It wasn't like the, it wasn't like a bad read on the edge, right? It wasn't a technical issue. Yeah. It wasn't someone stepped around somebody. Someone got caught flat footed, which happens, but it was just kind of like half-assed, you know, go in, make a tackle, just fall off, and no one else is following through or chasing up or, or scrambling to stop a try. Once they're gone, the rest of them are just turn around and sort of jog back. I wonder if he's lost the dressing room. I said this before because... Although they've won the last couple of games, right? They have been toughing it out. I mean, the problem for them is this level of inconsistency. They've got to crack why this level of inconsistency is happening. The le- their level of inconsistency isn't like the Sharks' level of inconsistency, if that makes sense. The Sharks are very inconsistent within a game, but it seems to be they play hard, they switch on and off, but the desire is generally there. Whereas the Tigers go from being switched on for 10 minutes to looking like they're going to get flogged by 60 for 15 minutes. Yeah, correct. And then switching on again. Like they go from literally looking like they don't care and don't want to be there to having some fight for 15 minutes. That's a that's a stark contrast, right? Yeah. And same as this game. That's what I saw at the start. They've got no resilience, G. As a squad, they've, they've got real leadership problems because the moment it go, starts to go bad for them, they've got no one who can pick the team up and show a bit of resilience. Do you know what? I think you just nailed it. And I hate saying this because we argue about the Tigers all the time. Bloody frustrating team. They have no resilience as a squad was yeah. your key point. There's players in that team that do... But in general, as a team, they fall away really fast. And I think I think you just nailed it. That's what happens. Because, you know, this game, they started off okay. They started off really well. They'll fire it up. And then as soon as Cronulla started to make inroads into their team, they just... They capitulated. terribly yeah. soft. They capitulated. Soft. Like, yeah. Noel Faluma, right? Like, yes, he got caught out by Mulatalo. But those tries were very easy. Can I just say, Noel Faluma... They were very easy. Terrible this year. North has been terrible this year. He's got the big contract. He's got the big contract. It wasn't T that they were, you know, the Sharks were very clinical and ultra quick with their execution. They were good execution, but the Tigers were on a different plane, like just totally different speed, and it just looked lazy. I mean, they made Matt Moylan, who made his return, they made Matt Moylan look brilliant for that last 20 minutes. Yes, busting tackles, charging through people, but with no actual real speed or... you know you what know, the Sharks were like? It was like when, for the Seinfeld fans out there, when Kramer first takes up karate and they and he gets to be black belt, he starts beating everyone up. And then Jerry and the gang realise he's playing against, he's doing karate against seven-year-olds. <laughs> and that's what the Sharks and the Tigers were like. I mean, Do you know what? That's what it was like. Look, I feel for Mulatar. I thought the Sharks were clinical with some of their execution and they looked sharp. Um, and some of the tries were quite good. And some, you know, the way they sort of got the ball to the wings really quickly for Katoa and Mulatalo, they do have good finishing wingers, the Sharks. And you know what? They won the game they needed to win to stay in contact with the eight. So it was a massive win. Massive win. Massive win. But that's what makes it even more disappointing for the Tigers. This was a massive game. Massive game for the eight. I thought they were going to start off really well and it was going to be a good game. And realistically, they, the, the, the top Sharks just blew them off the field. I mean, I did think I was in Bizarro World when I saw Michael Chi Cam go over. He's been around forever, Michael he's, he's like 23. He's been playing. He was like child labor. He's been playing since he was 14. He is. He is. He's some part of the Broncos 2010. Yeah, yeah. when he's not making iPhones, he's playing NRL. 
Um, the reason why I remember him is because one of my mates is a huge Raiders fan. He's always been like, watch out for this Michael Chi cam. He's fantastic. He was in there under 20 team way, way back. 16 clubs ago. 16 clubs ago, that's right. But Sharks, too good. Good win. They did the job. But really, other than probably getting, you know, um, Metcalf involved a little bit and, you know, kind of tracing, running some clinical lines and sort of executing quickly, I don't think they can take too much out of the game. I think that's a positive, the way they attack for the whole game. But outside of that, I thought the Tigers made it way too easy for them. But um, Mulatalo, get well, tough year. Um, I like Ronaldo. He's... A flamboyant winger. He's fun to watch. He won't play Origin next year. And he won't play Origin next year, yes. All right. Let's move on to the second game in shitty Saturday. Uh, It was the Bulldogs versus the Knights. This was a cracker. The Knights 22-16. Despite 38 points being scored, neither team could attack. This was a very scrappy game of football. Newcastle attack really needs some spark. They did lead 10-0 at halftime, but that was only after Corey Allen bombed a try and they were on the end of a 5-2 penalty count. And the Bulldogs were on the end of a 5-2 penalty count, right? They were another team that were penalised out of the game a little bit. Nick Meaney then got the Dogs back into it after the the break, well, after the break with a clever kick by Lachlan Lewis. Uh, Who, by the way, just quietly, you're keeping Kyle Flanagan and Lachlan Lewis is off contract next year. Lachlan Lewis is by far the better half versus Kyle Flanagan. I think what people are starting to see is that last year's Lachlan Lewis was an aberration where he had to play a structured role. Any man who does a wrestling move on Cody Walker after the halftime siren <laughs> and gets keep... binned for it, you've got to keep that person just for the glue factor in the dressing room. I, I like Lachlan Lewis. People like who give you that, those levels of stories and humour, you've got to keep him around in the club. You've got to. I agree. He's he's one of my... He, he's gritty. He's tough. He's, he's, he's one of those niggly type of players. He's very good defensively, and he has a real crack. And do you know what? He does have some ability, but you can't let him play... You've got to let him play a little bit unstructured, so... Yeah. And and so anyway, Jake, Jake Clifford struck back. Um, and, and he continues yeah. his excellent recent form with um, mm. a man-of-the-match performance in this game. I thought he was the difference between the sides in the end and was on hand after Connor Watson after a Connor Watson break to put Bass, Braddon Best away to make it 22-6. The Dogs did get a couple of tries at the end through Ryan James, who for the second week in a row was the Bulldogs' best forward. He was, yeah, he is. I, I rate Ryan James. He's getting on a bit now, but... Ryan um, James... Good player. ...is your best forward. He is. I've no comment. What do you want me to say? He can't make it into the ninth place team. Put the 75 Canberra forwards that Ricky Stewart has in the team and he can't get in that one. <laughs> uh, anyway, Jaden Ockenbaugh got a great try at the end after after a kick that was looked like look, look for all money that it was going to go dead and he just But did that's a great, Lachlan really Lewis, tough. right? That's yeah. what I mean. Like that kick I mean, look, he probably placed it impeccably, but that's the way he looks. It's like, what a crappy kick, but it goes exactly where it needs yeah, to yeah, go. Correct. Well, because they've been playing with him so long, they now expect shitty kicks. Everything looks awkward. The way he kicks looks he awkward. Ki- he does. He takes forever to cook the kick the ball. Yes, it looks awkward, but you could see he hooked it and hooked it right to the corner deliberately. So strange. I mean, look, I think the Knights had to win this game, obviously, to solidify their position in the eight. I didn't think they were that great, to be honest. No. They're playing the Titans this week, and the Knights have the better form, but I don't know if they've got enough points. Yeah, the way they're playing is a very rigid style of football. Very rigid. Players like Ponga and Tuala, and they've got a settled back line. Bradman Best is back and starting to play himself into form. 
Uh, Kurt Mann is not a bad centre. Heimel Hunt is a decent winger. Clifford, like you say, I thought was the man of the match. He had a really good game. Jake Clifford has been playing out of his bloody skin for the Knights. Yeah, they should have really... T- I mean, they should have put 30 or 40 up against the Bulldogs. They got close, but it was a struggle to score those points, right? And Connor Watson at lock as well adds a different type of variety to their attack. They should be racking up quite a few points. And the Dogs, I don't know what to say about about that, really. They ran one out like they always do, and waiting for their odd set play that they they sort of run and hope to break through the defence. Very ordinary. The try, the, Strangely enough, the two tries they scored were the two best tries on the night, which was the in-kick in to Nick Meany, perfectly placed by Lachlan Lewis, and also an amazing fucking catch and take by Ockham. Oh, that yeah. was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant try. But... You know, it's those lapses where Clifford stood up Corey Waddell, who I have to say I thought might have been something this year, has been absolutely woeful as a purchase. Again, handpicked by Trent Barrett. Defensively, he was terrible. It looks like Flanagan got blamed for it, but it's because the inside guy got totally stood up and flat-footed and then didn't even cover the gap and left it up to Flanagan, who dropped off when Clifford stepped around them. And then, like you say, Connor Watson busted through. Guess who was having a break and not watching the game and being a bit lazy in the middle of the... Yeah, that's right. Luke Thompson went straight past him. Hopawadi tried to close the gap, <laughs> fell off. And then Clifford and, and Bradman Best went over. And once they put those two, three tries together, they extended the lead out enough for the Bulldogs to have nothing left. I never thought the Bulldogs hung around, but I never thought they were ever a chance of winning that game, if that makes sense. No, that's fair enough. All right. Well, let's move on. You were, you were less chippy on the text message this week, and this next game reveals why. <laughs> The Eels. The Eels versus the Cowboys. The Eels got up 32-16. Despite the scoreline indicating this was an easy win for the Eels in scoring six tries to three. I thought it they wasn't. Were, I thought they were very scratchy. They did start the game well, scoring on each edge through Wonga Blake and Will Penasini um, to take an 8-0 lead. Uh, and, yeah. and, and Para did eventually get to halftime up 14-6, despite making nine errors in the first half. Like, it wasn't pretty football at all. And the Eels did get the first two tries of the second half to extend the lead to 26-6 to before the Cowboys scored a couple of their own to make it 26-16 with eight to play. Um, Dylan Brown then scored off a Mitch Moses bomb to finish the scoring for the evening. Um, I thought Mitch Moses was fantastic, albeit he still looks a little bit uncomfortable with his back injury, and that's why he's not kicking. He had three try assists, two line break assists, and a line break. He also forced three goal line dropouts. And he also, and what was really pleasing, despite it being a really scratchy win, there was two things that I really took out of this game for the Eels that give us a glimmer of hope. They weren't as rigid with a right half, left half. So Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown combined on the same side of the field a lot more. Now, it's week 22 when he's making this change, so it's not going to be good enough for the semis. <laughs> hey, Blake, hey, 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 Brad, maybe you should have tried this a little bit fucking earlier in the season but let's leave that for a second but that that was a much that was a great move technically for us in attack and can I also say the other thing is Will Penasini also looked good on our troublesome right center position now given how much he's chopped and changed that right edge I would leave him in there for the rest of the season and give him a run you, you disagree obviously no no I'm, I agree with you I'm just like he well shaking your head no means point. no nodding so means I know, yes I'm, yeah I'm, yes okay is that better? I'm not yeah. nodding with enthusiasm. Yeah. I, I don't think it's time to tinker. He looks solid. He's got some speed. He's got a bit of skill. You know what? Oh, no, I think he's going to be a great player. I think he'll be a good player. So he, he played with Suwali in the juniors. By all accounts, great player in the juniors. Unfortunately, Mike Acevo picked up what looked like an MCL, and this was yeah. the Cowboys' 10th loss in a row. 
Now, now the Cowboys this week, and we'll talk about it a bit later, they're up against Saints, who are also on a losing streak. So that'll be an amazing game of football. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I thought Para, like you say, changed their tactics, and I think it was quite evident. What I did like is, you know, we talk about Wonga Blake, and the guy's athletic, he's tall, he's fast, right? In this game, I felt like they were trying to get him into space a bit more. And it really helped his game, and he came up. He, he was a lot more involved, and he looked more dangerous. Gee, we're playing the better. Cowboys. They've lost ten in a row. Come on, man. I know. Yeah, but you got to try it, right? And and, and, and I know we have got to take some positives out of it. But but we got Melbourne this week. You do, but I I thought Penasini looked really good. But that's what you want, right? You want them to try out that different style of football. And we did talk about this last week that if you're going to try something out, this is the game to do it. I love the way Mitchell Moses played. I his try where he set up minutes. Um, Set up Penasini's try. Wasn't doing that early in the year. He he floated across through the dummy and he stepped around Ben Hampton's quite quick. And Moses went straight around him and stood him up and created a 60-meter try for the for the Eels out of nothing. And I think that's what they've been missing. I found Mitchell Moses played a lot more direct and that opened up the passing and the space for some of the outside backs as well. It allowed him to put his players into into the clear because he was running and stepping and making breaks. It was a big change for the Eels, and it made a big difference. Now, they are playing the Cowboys, but at least they tried something different. The one thing that you also notice is they looked a bit clunky trying to play that style of football too. Like you say, he waited till week 22, and you could see they weren't quite comfortable with it at times. It sort of seemed a bit laboured, where they were trying to kind of go quick, but they haven't played that way in such a long time. It wasn't as fluid as it sometimes should has to be. And look, I thought the Cowboys did all right to, to hang on for a little bit in the first half. But when Sean Lane went over just before halftime, literally, like, the gap was like, he just strolled over. You know, you kind of knew they, they weren't going to keep it up in the second half. And I, I just thought once um, Para, you know, put their pedal to the metal a little bit, they just put them away. Cowboys, you know, season over. They had flashes here and there. What does it mean for your doppelganger? I don't know what to make of this season, to be honest, T, for the Cowboys. I mean... Clearly, at the beginning, there was a power struggle, right? You said that there was rumours about, you know, he's shaken up the dressing room a fair bit, and you could see that. I think that was evident in their effort, because they were getting flogged. And then they had that period throughout the, the, the middle part of the year where they started to sort of come alive a little bit. Players were improving. Val Holmes was getting better and, and, and feeding his way into the game and getting more comfortable in his second season back. And then they've just fallen off again. But... I think we've got to wait till next year because there's signs he's blooded a lot of young kids in the back end of this season. And I don't think the Cowboys have necessarily given up like they were at the start of the year. I think there is a difference. They, they don't quite have the... I don't know if it's the energy tee or, you know, to go the whole way or because their season is over, they've got nothing to play for. It's hard to be determined for the whole 80 minutes. But I felt like they've really put in spirited performances for a fair few of those 10 losses. Um, but I think now they're, they're sort of run out of energy. It's almost like a regeneration type of season. You know, shook things up. A lot of kids coming through, a lot of different players. But I don't know. And the whole Chad Townsend thing, I'm not sure how that fits either. I really don't. It's good to see myself on TV sometimes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Sunday games then. The better looking version anyway. All right, let's move on to the Sunday games. Dragons versus the Roosters up first. The Roosters got this... 40 to 22. Uh, it was the Dragons' sixth loss in a row. So between the two teams playing this week, they're on a streak of combined 16 losses in a row. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't laugh. 
My team's won two games all year. That one was lucky. It was a funny game, this one, insofar as the Roosters dominated early and late, and the Dragons were the better side either side of the break. So, yes. um, the, yeah, the Dragons, you know, it was unusual insofar as the Dragons were able to rest momentum back, and then the Roosters were able to rest momentum back off the Dragons. You, we, didn't, we haven't seen a lot of that this year. So no. the, drag, the Dragons were under the pump early and were desperate to hold out the Roosters, including a great cover tackle from Dufty and an in-goal strip from Isaac Liu before they went up the other end of the field and nearly scored, only for Ravalawa to throw the last pass to Dufty forward. Teddy then took over, setting up three tries and running for over 200 metres in the half to give the Roosters a 14-0 lead. He then nearly prevented a try on the stroke of half-time by stripping Dufty whilst he was trying to score, only for the ball to fall to Josh Maguire. Uh, in the end, they got the try through Josh Maguire to make the score 14-6 at halftime. Saints continued that momentum into the second half off the back of some great Zach Lomax play and took the lead 16-14 midway through the second half. But then the Roosters put their foot down again on the accelerator and ran away with it. Um, Teddy ended up with more than 300 metres, three line breaks, 12 tackle busts and four try assists. The Dragons' Talatau Amone, Amone again looked great. He's got something, that kid. So... Um, Clearly what he really needs is Josh Maguire and Andrew McCulloch to bring his game along. Whilst the the Dragons were playing Moneyball, the Roosters were playing chess. The Roosters' injuries continued yes. to mount. Kieran Takiaiho had HIAs and didn't return. Matt Butcher with a knee injury along with Jared Warrior Hargraves. Um, Beryl's hurt his arm and Dale Copley his leg. So, I mean, soon you and I are going to get a run for the Roosters the way they're going and they'll still end up winning. It's getting close. Um, they keep on covering the gaps and they keep on winning. I think it's another one of these, the Dragons had a spirited performance but didn't quite have enough, which we've said in a few games where, you know, they've ended up losing by 12 to 16 points, but they were right in it at times and just couldn't quite go on with the job. Um, it was an interesting game. I found it quite exciting in terms of the way it was played. It was, it was a bit of a back and forth game for me, like you say, resting momentum back and forth. But I just think the Roosters were a little bit too classy. Jimmy Tedesco was always involved and really always looking for opportunities to stamp his authority on the game. And I thought he did that a lot. Oh, he was superb, wasn't he? I thought he was superb, yeah. I thought Lachlan Lamb and Sam Walker both had good games in different ways. Yeah, I thought Lachlan Lamb was very good. Um, he stood up the Dragons' defence quite a few times and added a real strong running threat with his footwork. And then Sam Walker sort of took over in the back end of the second half as well and played really well as well. The Dragons, they, they've got a little bit of footy, footy in them sometimes, right? With Zach Lomax back now, him and Ravalara are a little bit of a dangerous combination. I thought the try that um, Fiange scored when Jack Bird took the quick tap and then it was well read by Lomax and by Fiange to actually just come in support and fly out of nowhere and change that quick tap into a, a length of the field try. I did think the Roosters missing a few goals, conversions kept the Dragons close enough, and the Dragons took advantage and hit the lead. I actually thought they might go on with it, but then they fell away, and, the, and then Daniel Tupu came alive. I don't think they're fit enough. They're old. Maybe that's what it is, because... He's got this really he's got this really odd team. I mean, it's not the way you'd construct a roster. He's got these really old players, and he's got these really young players. He doesn't have anyone in between. Not really, right? Ben Hunt, look at it, Ben Hunt, Corey Norman, Jack Bird, Andrew McCulloch, Josh Maguire. Um, you go through it like Tarek Sims. These are all 27, 28 and up. And then and then you've got Amone, who's 18, 19. You know, Tyrone Sloan, who's, who's young. 
Ramsey's young. Like you've got you've got this. You've, there's almost like this ten year age gap between these players. Again, I thought they gave it a good run, but the Roosters just somehow keep on winning, and they're lucky they have players like Tupanua who can slot into centre and still do an amazing job. Sam Walker was great with a little bit of um, great footwork to score under the posts. And then Daniel Tupo, like we said, came alive. He's been, he hasn't really been in the best form for a while. We, you spoke about that earlier. Once he scored, he seemed to go up. He seemed to. It's almost like he cleared the cobwebs out of him, you know, out of his head. Then he took that great takeover. Ravalawa scored a try, and then the Roosters just finished them off after that. A few takeaways from this game is Amone, Talatau Amone. Like you say, they've got something with him, the Dragon. Sullivan looks like a good player off the bench with a bit of spark, and then Sloan. They've got a few players coming through. Lomax. They do. They really do. They do. They do have some. They do have some youngsters coming through. I just think he's not the right coach, and that's not the right roster construction, mate. They've got enough. They've got enough talent coming through the juniors that they could be something in four or five years. But they need to get. The, but they. But they need to get game time altogether. Yeah, I think that's going to be a worry. Or they, they dribs and drabs and can sort of strategically fit them in the team, and I don't think they're doing that. You're making the bottoming out process. through Instead of three years, you're making it five or six years before they're ready. That was the good thing about the Panthers. They all came through together. It's a bit lucky for the Panthers, right? But I also think with the Dragons, I don't necessarily think Teed strategically. But it was also they got an opportunity. With the Dragons, I also think it's circumstance more so than good planning, if that makes sense. They've had a shit season. Everything's fallen apart. McCulloch's injured or Hunt's injured. Let's just put the young kid in. Whereas if they were there, I don't think they ever would have gotten a go. Yeah. So it's kind of worked out for them in a little way in... To their benefit, but I wouldn't say it's been planned necessarily. But Corey Norman too, another... I don't know why he's playing. I know, I agree with you, but God, he's got some touches of class, that guy. You just, I mean, what do you do with him? Seriously. Some of his stuff that he pulled off is just magic football. And the Roosters keep on winning, thanks to Nick Politarkis's, um strategy. Well, he certainly got Connor Watson that way. He did, over a cup of coffee in the lift. In the foyer. Oh, it's brilliant. Anyway, all right, let's move on to the last game of the round. It's the blockbuster that was the Broncos versus the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors got up... Oh, and actually, the Broncos got up 24-22. The Warriors were unlucky in this one, though. They scored five tries to four, but only some poor kicking from Reese Walsh, who only kicked one out of five, prevented them from chalking up the win. The Broncos scored the first two tries to take a 12-0 lead before the Warriors got one back to narrow the Broncos' lead to 12-4 at halftime. The Warriors were able to take the lead midway through the second half, but the Broncos responded to make it 18-14 before Dallin Wateni Zelezniak locked the scores up at 18-all. The team swapped tries in the last minutes, um, and and Peter Hiku dropped the ball whilst trying to ground it uh, before Reese Walsh missed the two-point field goal that would have won it for the Warriors. So they had plenty of chances. They scored more tries. It's just unfortunate for the young kid that, that some of his kicking cost them this this game. I also thought it was Anthony Milford was superb and it was his best game since the Para game in round one. And it's no coincidence that it's coincided with what appears to be a loss in weight. That doesn't surprise me at all. I've said he just looked unfit and looked way too heavy. And his game from when he was first came into first grade was predicated on his agility and unbelievable ability to change direction at speed and stand up defenders and give himself space to operate and attack the defense. And when you don't have that, when you're not light, you can't do that. And your confidence disappears, right? Because you can't do the stuff you're accustomed to doing. I was going to ask you about that as well. Like his best game, it was very clear. He was involved in everything. I thought he was fantastic. So did I. I thought he was great. T, it's the pressure's gone. He knows he's going and he doesn't have to sit there and worry about being dropped every second week. 
Like, I mean, Milford was chopped and changed constantly. For whatever reason, Kevin Walters, partly weight, whatever. But now that he's gone, is he, like, a lot freer mentally? Not having that pressure of being the Broncos' saviour? Well, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but you're right. There is something about the end of the season, pressure's off. Because a lot of players, once they're freed up, look like they're playing a bit better. I wonder if Kevy's tried to overcoach them. It wouldn't surprise me. This is your comment about the halves that are coaches. Halves, yeah. What I find with some of these older half halves or coaches that are halfbacks or, or were playmakers, right, they seem to go really, really tough on the younger halves. But when you have someone like a Fittler, say, under Stewart, he's got enough experience and understanding to just go, look, thanks, Sticky, I'll think about a couple of things, but I'll kind of still play my game. Whereas the younger guys are trying to... It feels like they're trying to impress the coach and they just try and do whatever they say. And it, sometimes it takes away their talent. Like Moses, right? You yeah. saw him running back in this game. Yes, it's the Cowboys. I know you, you, you say that, but he, he looked like an entirely different guy. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's easy when you're the Broncos, you're not going to play the eight. And it's a dud game at the end of the season against the Warriors. It's, it's easy to play freely in that situation. That is not the situation he's going to be in at Souths next year, towards the end of the year. No. In fact, I'll be interested to see how he goes at Souths because if he does, Bennett can give him that confidence. Well, Bennett's not going to be there next year. Again, more hard-hitting analysis from Gene. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Jason Dimitriou. So, but <laughs> I'm just relieved that you know who South Sydney are. Um <laughs> No. Um, no. He's going to have to do the organising. It's because Cody Walker does none of the organising for Souths. So he all his job is is basically to be like Adam Reynolds. Really, it, it's he's an interesting fit for the way they yes. play because Cody Walker provides all the magic, and yep. Adam Reynolds gets them around the park. And Anthony Milford is not a get you around the park halfback, which no, is why it's no. an interesting fit. Look, it goes back to what we spoke about earlier in the year. You know, Souths have that rule where you don't sign people for two years or whatever else. You're watching Adam Reynolds playing the way they're playing. Like, you know what? Sometimes you could be stupid by sticking to the rule. He clearly has two years left in him. And they're humming along and threatening to win the comp. You know, you don't... I don't know. I think it was a silly decision. But um, with this game, again, look, the Warriors scored more tries. T. I, I did think the goal... Obviously, the goal kicking came back to to bite them in the end. But also, again, on and off, right? The Broncos played well, but I thought they were, you know, both teams struggled to score at, at times before they got into the groove. It took them a while to sort of really click into gear, but the Warriors really should have won this game outside of the goal kicking. 100% they should have, you know, should have won like, this game. They had heaps, they had chances in this game galore. They just couldn't get it over the line. They couldn't get it over the line. The Broncos' attitude in defense has improved a lot. Milford had a great game. Um, Herbie Farnworth kicks goals as well, which is awesome. Ah, the love bug. We love him. Tessie New, another one of these random grubbers that he, he bumbles and fumbles and lets in a try. Is he the Nick Kotrick of the Brisbane Broncos? Oh, he's too young, I reckon. Because it's almost like he runs at these balls, right, in the in goals. And you got Nick Kotrick so as a winger. He had a, he had a good four or five years at the Raiders. Yeah, I don't know what happened to him. He left him at the Raiders, I'll tell you that much. But you know, like at times, Nick Kotrick was kind of like, always seemed like he was panicking. I get the same impression from Tessie New, almost like that he's too fast. At times? Thinking. At times, yeah. At times? And I don't know, I think, you know what, the Broncos are finishing the season really well. And yes, the pressure's off, but... New fitness coach. New fitness coach. They've been heaps better since the new fitness coach. No Anthony Milford's lost no weight. Surprise. They're finishing games okay. The game's a bit like it's no different. 
when they got rid of the fitness coach and brought a new conditioning coach in, that's what happened. And they've moved some of their bigger fringe back rowers into the front row. Well, well, and they lost Lodge. To make a difference. Yeah, I mean, sad for the for the Warriors, but, you know, a good, a pretty decent and season. One thing we forgot to mention in the news is Alex Glenn retired. Yeah, I know. He's been around for so long. Yeah, but he so was always much. one of these unassuming players. Like, I, I was actually shocked at how old he was. He was like an evergreen, always there type player. Yeah, he's like 30. 34. Yeah, something like that. Very solid, really good player. Week yeah. to week, consistent, just about every week. So a great career for Alex Glenn as well, as you say, we forgot to say. And yeah, I don't know, the Warriors, they... But, you know, what a find, Reese Walsh. Well, the rumour is, the rumour is they're going to make a run at him. They're going to make a run at him to come back at the end of his contract. At the Who, end the of Broncos? Yeah, that's right. Here's a, here's a question for you about the Broncos, right? You know, when we saw him play, we both had a discussion on the pod straight away. We're like, hey... This guy's got it. Like, it was pretty obvious, right? It wasn't like we're geniuses or anything. Why was no one after this kid? Like, he's actually phenomenal. He's 18. Well, I think, I think, the, I think the problem is, I think, I think the problem in the last two years where I'm willing to give clubs a leave pass is they haven't been playing. As much, okay. Yeah, so and the not... restrictions are such that I'm not sure you were able to get your scouts everywhere. Okay, fair enough. Yep. That's a, look, that's a good point, yes. I, I think that's, the last couple of years, I think that's been the reason. So if you're the Broncos, remember, you're a single team town. And so it's the other 15 teams don't have full-time scouts in. Melbourne would, because they're miles ahead. But, <laughs> Melbourne scouting everybody. Yeah, but no one, no, no, the other teams wouldn't have a full-time scout in Brisbane, right? Because everyone growing up in Brisbane wants to play for the Broncos. So you'd, you'd, you'd probably flying people up from Sydney to go to the schoolboy carnivals and those types of things. And if those things were cancelled, you wouldn't be seen. So the last couple of years, I kind of give teams a bit of a leave pass on it. I think that's a fair point. I really do. It's a valid point. I mean, I think a lot of it is to do with the perception of what a size, size is for a particular player. Yeah, they're looking for size. Think... But they weren't to know that these rules were going to be introduced, right? They weren't to know that the emperor was going to wake up one day and say, thou shalt give six agains. <laughs> A great find for the for the Warriors, and you know, honestly, I hope he stays there. I really do. So, but Nathan Brown has to let them off the leash a little bit next year. Okay, he's probably put in place his systems this year, but clearly they need a bit more of an edge, and they've got the ability is to unleash it a little bit more. I mean, look, man, they had RTS, Reese Walsh, Nick Arima. They've got some attacking potential. Well, they got in that Chan- team. Chanel Harris Tavita. Yeah, they've got some players. Yeah, they and do. And they rarely use Cody Nick Arima, Reese Walsh. Well, the games they win, they're going to win fifty to forty. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, those three t- those three players um, can't take okay. it. So, All I right. have one 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 quick oh, question about the Broncos. This just comes back to Reese Walsh. Is, Is this about someone's you, hair? No, it's not. Do you think sometimes the Broncos almost have too much talent that it's just by virtue they're going to make the wrong retention decisions because no. they've got too many players to choose from? No, no, no. Okay, interesting. No, I think I don't think they should. I think if you're the Broncos, you should know. I'm, I'm critical of Parramatta for this reason as well. Parramatta is the best analogy in Sydney. You have all these players in your junior ranks. You get first mm. look at all of them, and somehow all the best ones end up at other clubs. This is what I mean, right? Like, is it something that they're not? That, that, if, that's, up if, if that's happening, that's a problem with the club, and and that's a problem Parramatta have had for years and years and years and years. It's either something to do with what happens when they get to grade. Or there's something not right there in the talent identification. Now, for years, the Broncos haven't had this problem. But I also think they don't have the thoroughbreds there anymore. So I think I think some of these players are not... Some of these youngsters are going, I'm really good. My window's now. I don't want to wait and pay my apprenticeship. I want to play first grade now. Yeah. And I'm not staying for the Broncos discount. 
Correct. And, you know, it's cheaper than living in Sydney and all that stuff that we used to hear about Darren Lockyer. Correct. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. I yeah. just, I just that's, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I think, no, it makes sense because sometimes I think their retention decisions, I think... Yeah, but it's different. It's different. They're, they're, they're the only team in the city. So if you're Parramatta, you've got Canterbury coming to your carnivals. You've got, like, you, there's more competition there. But but in Brisbane, yeah. you've got to remember, up until up until the mid-'80s, the Brisbane competition and the New South Wales competition, maybe not of equal strength, but Brisbane was only 10 or 20% behind, right? Now, these players are still being produced in Queensland. They're just ending up through the Storm Academy. That's the low-hanging fruit. Forget about Moneyball. It's the way we treat the players in Queensland. This is why the Storm have been able... They found Nico Hines teaching on the Sunshine Coast. Dude, I got the Storm miles ahead of everybody. Just that, that Queensland is still producing players. It's a heartland of rugby league. The problem is the, these clubs in Sydney are very Sydney-centric. Oh, yeah, they are. They are very, very Sydney-centric, so... But yeah, just about, uh, I thought it was it was worth a discussion, you know. All right, let's move to re- round twenty three preview. That brings us to the close of the round twenty two games. Round twenty three preview. First up on Thursday night, you've got one of the games of the round. I think Knights versus the Titans. This is a tough game to call. The Knights are a dollar eighty five favourites. The Titans are a dollar ninety five outsiders. But it's only a point and a half start. I look at these teams and the way they've been playing, and I think the Knights should win this. But then I go, if the Titans score 24 points, I don't think the Knights can score 26. This is the dilemma with this game for me. For me, this game is hard, very, very hard to pick because, like you, the the Knights, now they're settled. I don't know what it is, but they're still not scoring or threatening the line much. They're playing a very laboured style of attacking football that doesn't fit the personnel they now have. The Titans run up. They can score a few points. If they score a few points against the Knights, I'm not sure if the Knights can peg them back, but the Titans have holes everywhere in defence. So it's like, I honestly don't know. Like, they can make the, the Knights' job easier. I'm going to tip the Titans because what I saw from the Knights against the Bulldogs, without Clifford and a little bit of Connor Watson magic, to be honest, T, I think they almost lose that game, and the Dogs are very ordinary. And they had Ponga, Pierce, Clifford... Playing well, Tuala, like the full strength side for the Knights. So I'm going to tip the Titans in this game. Actually. I'm, I'm leaning towards the Knights, but I could change it before kickoff. It's a really tough one to pick this one. Um, I'm just having a look at the ladder to see. They're in seventh position. They're on 30 points, uh, 24 points, sorry. So they've got two wins up on the other team. So this this game actually means more to the Titans than it means to the Knights. It's a tough one, uh, but let's see. Let's see. There's only one position up for grabs now, so... The Knights are pretty much locked in. But the Knights guarantee themselves semi-final football if they win this. And they almost they almost wipe out the Titans, you know. This is a really big game. Anyway, all right. If you move on to the Friday night games, first up, you've got the Warriors versus the Raiders. Both are still mathematical chances of making the eight. The Warriors are $2.75 outsiders and the Raiders are $1.45 favourites. The Warriors have six and a half points start. I think this will be a close game, but I think the Raiders will get them. I think the Raiders will get them. I think the Raiders have improved a lot by being ultra-aggressive, and I think they'll bustle the Warriors in defense. And I don't, like I said, I say it all the time, I don't think the Warriors take enough advantage of their attacking ability to really put teams away, and I think the Raiders will hold them out. I, I think the Raiders defensively will be a little bit too strong, and they've, they've, you know, they've thrown the ball around a little bit, um, the Raiders, and I think they'll score a few tries on the Warriors, and the Warriors' season is over. It's done. Yeah. 
Well, if they lose this, the Warriors' season's done. There's still a mathematical chance of making the eight, but it's very hard. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the match of the round, and that's the Foundation Club derby, the Roosters versus Souths. Yep. It was our local derby growing up, except the Roosters were terrible when we were growing up. Well, for some years they were, yes. Um, the David Truella years, I like to call it. Hugh McGahn, he was Hugh one of McGahn my favourite players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Roosters versus Souths. The Roosters are $4 outsiders. Souths are $1.25 favourites, and the Roosters have 12.5 point start. Now, Souths always seem to tail up the Roosters in the last couple of years. I think Souths will do this relatively comfortably. I think the Roosters, as much as I admire the way they've been playing and somehow they're in the you know, in the top four, they've been fantastic, fantastic effort. You know what? They're short troops, and I don't think they, they... They've kind of played some of the teams that aren't right up there, and I think the Rabbitohs will be too good for them this week. I, I, I Now it's at a different level. Those shortcomings and all those injuries are going to haunt them a little bit in this game. I think the Rabbitohs will win. And if the Roosters win, it's going to be a um, Tedesco special. I don't think Latrell Mitchell is going to be able to outmaneuver Joey Manu, though. No, this is the thing. Uh, that's one thing we didn't. I didn't mention the Penrith game. Latrell didn't find it as easy steamrolling people, did he? No, he didn't. He didn't. He is massively out of shape, though. He is out of shape, right? So he needs a little bit more of that explosive speed. And yeah. he's, against the good teams, that's all the difference they need. So anyway, I'm tipping the Rabbitohs. Speak. So am I. Speaking of good teams, let's move on to Super Saturday, where first yeah. up you've got the epic blockbuster, the game of the year contender. <laughs> Who could win a game? Who can, can win, win a game? A game the game? combined record is 16 losses in a row. Six for the Saints, 10 for the Cowboys. One of these teams will either have seven losses in a row or 11. Let that sink in. It's Saints versus the Cowboys in the blockbuster game of the round. Saints are $1.65 favourites. The Cowboys are $2.25 outsiders and have three and a half points start. I think the Saints will get them. Look, I'm tipping the Dragons as well because I think the Dragons I think the Cowboys have, have gone spent. on holidays for the last two and a half months. I think they're done. They're, the Cowboys have hung in there, but they can't last the 80 minutes. And I think the Dragons have had quite a few spirited performances pre post-barbecue. I just think they've played some of the better sides and they've just fallen away. And I think now they're up against a team that's a bit lower. I think the Dragons will hold on and, and I think they'll beat them. Amone will play again. Corey Norman seems to be finishing the season off. Well, with and, and I've just, just got so much faith in Anthony Griffin's money ball. So... <laughs> So let's... Hey, this game's at Rockhampton, right? One thing I didn't mention before is how good is watching the footy? Oh, it's fantastic. The regional regional Queensland. Mate, how that's... about some of those leagues clubs? Like you, the, you're sitting on the veranda having a beer or a meal. Yeah. You're watching the footy. It's how the best. That? It's the best. They, oh, mate. they should do that in New South Wales. Absolutely, they, they should. They should absolutely take the game to the country. I mean, they, we're only getting 10,000, 12,000 crowds anyway. Give these kids in the country a chance. Anyway, oh, I think it's a good idea, but yeah, oh, you know what? One thing, the Portaloos are out in force as well. And there was <laughs> one game I was grounds. watching, I think it was at Rockhampton, where I was watching the game and in the background, you could see the traffic lights turn green. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Let's move on to another game, another yeah. another magnificent game, and that's the Sharks. It's like the NSL, the... Tez. T, remember the NSL where you'd the watch NSL. the game, there, there's cars parked behind yeah, the goals. Yeah. That's right. Remember Car that? Park. Remember yeah. That? Oh, what was that place called, man? Um, I'm trying to remember it. Um, um, Sunshine George Cross. Sunshine George <laughs> Cross, that was the one. 
You'd watch the game and there's cars parked and guys watching by leaning on their car. They were great times, though, watching those games. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) So let's move on to the Sharks versus the Broncos. The Sharks are $1.45 favourites. The Broncos $2.75 outsiders and have six and a half points start. I think the Sharks have got too much to play for in this game. I'm with you. The Sharks have got too much to play for. They pretty much guarantee a spot in the top eight if they win this. Because their four and against good is good. Look, as much as the Tigers were terrible in that game against the Sharks, they did show up in patches. But I thought the Sharks, for the first time in a long time, played relatively well across the whole 80 minutes. They didn't really drop off that much. I think they'll be too consistent for the Broncos. But I expect this to be quite a close game. The Broncos are playing with nothing to lose. They've got a relatively good attitude. The young kids are having a run. Um, So I think this will be a close one on picking the Sharks. All right. In another close game, the last game on Super Saturday... It'll be the Storm versus the Eels. Storm are $1.10 favourites. Eels are $7 outsiders and have 21.5 points start. I think the Storm will win this one in an uncontroversial tip. I think they'll win, and this for me is they're going to go for 20 in a row, so I'm expecting them to come out you know, hard in this game to actually really not sort of be a bit sloppy or a bit arrogant, and I think they respect the Eels enough to sort of not be sloppy. But the one thing I am looking forward to is... Was the game against the Cowboys just, hey, let's play that way against the Cowboys, that type of style of footy by the Eels, or are they actually going to try and play that way against the Storm? The Eels with Dunstar, Penasini, and Wonga Blake, I know defensively is terrible, but they've got a little bit more pace too, which will help them against the Storm. I think the Storm's defense is going to be still too good for for the Eels' attack, but I'm expecting, I'm interested to see what the Eels are going to throw at the Storm defense this week. But I'm tipping the Storm. Yeah, I think the Storm will get that one. All right, let's Do move on to. Do you think they're th- going to flog them? No, I think we're actually a chance. I don't think the Storm. The, I don't think the Storm have been playing that well. I'm expecting them not to be a bit sloppy this week. Not to yeah. be as sloppy because they have been a bit shaky, and I think they respect the Eels enough to not come out. Well, and the Eels beat happens. them earlier in the season, right? Yes, so, they did. So let's see what happens. But on Sunday, you've got um, a return bout of epic proportions. You've got Manly versus the Bulldogs. Now, last time, this could have been 600 points. Nil. Yeah, it could have been 600. Yeah. It was 66 points, and they could have had more. It was just mad. It was one of my favorite favorite games of footy this oh, year. Of course it was, yes. Manly are $1. five favorites. The Bulldogs are $10 outsiders and have 25.5 points start. Now, we can all agree Manly's going to win this. Is 25.5 points start enough? No, it's not. I think Manly is going to win by more than 25. Tommy Turbo will More than back. 50? No. I Look... It was more than 50 last time. The more than 60? Right. No, it's not going to be more than 60. 30 plus is a real chance. What will you do if they win by more than 50? What will you do for our listeners? I don't know. I mean, what do you want me to try and do a cartwheel? I don't think that'll do much I mean, for our listeners, I've got to no, be honest. I'm not sure. I think I'll just permanently switch my allegiance across to Manly. I wear a Tommy Turbo shirt for the hour that I'm allowed outside of the house. If you get done about that? by 50 plus points... Yes. You will go for your one-hour walk that you're allowed a day. Yep. Yes. Wearing a Manly jersey. In fact, I'll even wear a Trent Barrett mask. That's it. And I will wear a Manly jersey. And no pants. And a Trent Barrett mask. If I if I go outside for more than an hour, I'm No pants. Trouble. I wear shorts. Short shorts. Short shorts. The footy shorts from the 1980s. Okay, done. Um, All right, that's it. It's, it's um, 50. But seriously, this... A full-strength Manly, and I have to say Manly, 
haven't been clocking off. They're kind of enjoying running up the score against some of those teams. <laughs> Ruben, Garrick, Ruben Garrick wants to score. Well, Ruben Garrick, Ruben Garrick's on track to break the record for the most points in a regular season, in a home and away season. Well, he's close. It's the Hazem El Masri record. And Hazem, yeah. Hazem holds the season record because he got like 42 points in three semifinals. To get yes, over. that's right. Yeah, 342. Yeah, so. So I don't know that he'll break Hazem's record for the whole season, but he could break the regular season Hazem record. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Would not surprise me. So, but Manly, I'm, I'm a bit worried they haven't switched off when they're running up the scores. So, but I think th- I think 30 plus is on the cards this week for sure. All right, and an- and the Channel Nine game on the Sunday is Panthers versus the Tigers. The Panthers are a dollar seven favourites. The Tigers are nine dollars outsiders, and the Tigers have twenty one and a half points start. God knows which Tigers team's going to show up, but it's not going to matter. <laughs> Because the Panthers will win this. Look, I actually think this is going to be a flogging. I think the Panthers are going to come out again. Another week with Cleary, Luai, Burton starting to settle back into their old roles. The Tigers, some of the stuff against the Sharks didn't bode well. I'm expecting the Panthers to, two weeks out from the semis, to try and click into gear and get their combinations right. I think this is going to be a 30-plus game too. Super Sunday. Yeah, there's going to be plenty of, plenty of tries scored. I'm not sure any of the games yeah. are going to be close, though. <laughs> no. There's going to be a combined... The Bulldog... What, no. What's the over-under What's the over under for a combined score of the Bulldogs-Tigers? Do you know what? That actually would be a pretty good bet in terms of... If you could say that both the margin for both of those games... I don't even know if you can make this bet, but since you can bet on what colour undies someone has, you probably can, is um 60-plus. For both, it's probably worth a bet. Yeah, it probably would be. All right. Well, that brings us to the close of another G&T show for another week. Thank you once again for joining G and I, and we look forward to the Bulldogs getting towed by 50-plus and G posting his photo of a manly jersey and short shorts onto our socials. I'll do it, and I'm actually looking forward to the semis. I'm done with this season. Hurry up. Yeah, we need the semifinals to start. All right. Take care, everyone, and we'll join you. Hopefully, you'll join us again next week. See See you, G. See ya. Bye.